Well, big thanks to each of you dads for answering that call. If you've been a dad for a while, you watch that and you go, whoo, yeah, that's, that's real life right there. There's the, the privilege in those joyful moments and there's the privilege in the emergency moments as well. So I uh, do give my congratulations to you guys as dads. And one of the things the Lord reminded me of this morning in our worship was the, the incredible gift that God gave to me of some older men who are not my biological father, but played dad role in my life. I'm grateful for those guys. And it reminds me that the privilege of being a dad is not reserved purely for biological children. That we really can, by God's grace, as instruments of God be dads to above and beyond, way above and beyond just what the Lord may or may not give in terms of biological children. So for those who have been dads biologically and those who have not but been dads otherwise, uh, thank you for that great gift that you give in that way. Well, if you take uh, your scriptures, whether it's a hard copy or digital, you'd open with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We are in a series that we're calling right now Excel Still More, and that title comes directly from the text. And before we look at our new passage this morning, I want us to take a few minutes to make sure we get the big picture of what First Thess 4 and 5 are about. It says in verse 1 of chapter 4, finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us instruction as to how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you excel still more. So chapter 4 begins with an idea, not that I, he was finally doesn't mean concluding, but that he is now moving towards as a father, not to his biological children, but to his spiritual children, he's moving to a time of instruction. Not because they were necessarily in great rebellion. In fact, he says, you are pleasing the Lord, but you can do even better. That's what dads often do, right? They go, way to go, you can do even better. That's what he means by excel still more in your pleasing of the Lord. Because he uses a word in verse 3 then of chapter 4 called sanctification. And excel still more is really the same as sanctification. That's not a word we use outside of church, but sanctification excuse me, is the progressive work of living out our freedom from the power of sin. Jesus, by his death, burial, and resurrection, paid the penalty for our sin. And Jesus will one day be, we will be with him for all eternity and will be free from the presence of sin. Between now and then, sanctification. Us who are in Christ learning to live out the freedom that we've been given in Jesus. To respond to the New Testament call for you in your marriage, your personal life, your work life, your family life, that you would be holy as he's holy. Anybody in here have some work to do in terms of Holiness. Yeah, that's why we're here. That's, that is sanctification, growing in holiness. Last week, verses 3 through 8 dealt with being holy sexually, abstaining from sexual immorality and living unto the Lord in a pleasing manner sexually. And what we learned about sanctification was this. That sanctification begins, doesn't end with this, it begins with honest confession. And I want to bring you back to that because every week as we look at a new section in 1 Thessalonians 4 and then when we get to chapter 5, there will most likely be this recognition, wow, I am not holy as he is holy in this particular area. And the response there is not, oh, I'll try harder. It's, I admit it, Lord. I confess. I change my mind about this is enough. I want to excel still more. I want to be sanctified. So it begins with confession. In fact, quite frankly, 
if we don't regularly practice from being in the word a response of confession, we're probably missing what the word of God is intended to be doing in our lives. It's not beating us up, it's leading us to life. But leading us to life begins with acknowledging I'm walking in death, so I'm going to stop, I'm going to change my mind, I'm going to confess what I have done, and I'm going to walk in a new direction. I'm going to learn to walk in the Spirit. And so learning to walk in the, experience, in the spirit, we laid it out last week, begins with submitting myself to God. I put myself under the authority of, the, of God because he is my owner and he is my wise father. Under that, I declare, here's who I am in Christ. I'm no longer alive to sin. I'm dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. And because of now who I am in Christ, this body that he purchased, it now belongs to him. And therefore I present it to him for him to live his life through me instead of stealing my body back to satisfy my own desires. That's walking in the spirit. And we'll have opportunity to do it in every area of our life. Again, last week, walk in the spirit don't satisfy the lustful desires of the flesh. A new area this week. So that's to prepare ourselves, to remind ourselves how we're going to approach this text. We said every week we would begin by making a declaration about the word of God. So if you would, would you grab the scriptures and you would hold it in front of you and let's declare this statement together. This is God's word. His heart revealed. I humbly declare his ways are higher than my ways and his thoughts are higher than my thoughts. I will not lean on my own understanding, but incline my heart now to receive his word so that I may excel still more in filling the earth with his glory by walking in his truth and loving all people as he has loved me. So Father, We're hungry to receive this word now. We recognize and we believe it's life and joy and protection and love. We don't run from it, we run to it. Would you speak by your spirit to us that we would hear and it would bring about confession as needed, repentance as needed, and to walk now in new instruction to the praise of of your glory, I ask it in Christ's name. Amen. So who's, here's our new passage this morning. Start in verse 9. He says, Now as to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. For indeed you do practice it toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. Now pause there. What I love about this text is the whole context is excel still more. But before he gets to excel still more, in other words, you can do better, he gives an attaboy. He gives a way to go in this area. And his way to go is specifically in this area of brotherly love. We can hearken back to chapter one and there he celebrated their love for one another. Christian Family Chapel, would we get a way to go? Uh, Or a, you got a way to go. (laughs) A, A way to go for our love for one another. That's what the Thessalonians got. They got a way to go for their brotherly love. And it was rooted in three things that may encourage or challenge us. First, their brotherly love was to be in obedience to the Lord. It was a response of obedience to the Lord Jesus because he says, did you notice there in verse nine, now as to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write to you. In other words, he could have, and he did in lots of other letters to churches say, hey, you got to crank it up in your love for one another. He does it. He's going, you guys do this because you do. Do it as having been taught 
by God. So let me acknowledge something. You know when, when CFC will get a way to go? It's not when you go, oh, I, I know. Doug's always saying, we got we to gotta be more friendly. We got to be more welcome. We got to be more inviting. I know. Uh, that will never be when we get a way to go. It'll be when you say, I have heard from the Lord. In obedience to him, I have a responsibility to my brothers and sisters in Christ to care for them, to look out for them, to help them, to provide for them. It'll only be when we go, I've been taught by the Lord on this one. So that's why I pray what I prayed, that, that he would be our teacher. That as you come back next week and as you live out this week, it wouldn't be, what are you hearing me say? It'd be, what are you hearing him say that you would live in obedience to him and here is here's what the lord said a new commandment i give to you that you love one another even as i have loved you that you also love one another now let's be clear here is love a new commandment that jesus is giving yes or no No, that is not a new commandment. If you're not familiar with Jesus prior to this, prior to in the upper room when he says this to the disciples, he had said repeatedly, hey, if you want to sum up the whole Old Testament, here it is. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor. How? As yourself. So what's new about this one? It's not that you love what's new. It's how you love. It's the standard. It's not now love others as you love yourself. It's now love as I have loved you. Why? Because he has loved us far better than we love ourselves. You ever think about that? See, the standard went from here to here when he said, love as I have loved you. I've loved you humbly. I've loved you sacrificially. I've loved you unconditionally. You ever notice that he doesn't just love the lovable people? Why not? Because there'd be nobody to love. He loves us. God demonstrated his love in the while we were yet sinners. He loved us while we were unlovable. So if you hear that from the Lord, as he has loved me, That's how I'm to love my spouse. That's how I'm to love my kids. That's how I'm supposed to love my siblings. That's how I'm to love my neighbors. As I have been loved by him. That's what the Lord, that's when you get a way to go. Second, brotherly love is to be in constant action. It's what we learn in verse 10. It's to be in constant action. He says very simply, for indeed you do practice it. We use the word a lot, but that's not what he's talking about. He's not saying, hey, you all tell each other you love one another a lot. No, he's saying you practice love for one another. The Apostle John, we know love by this, that he laid down, Jesus laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. You understand? He, love as I have loved you. How did I love you? I laid down my life for you. And so I will lay down my life for for you. That's, that's what we're talking about. I can tell you, I love peanut butter. I love sushi, but I'm not laying my life down for that. Uh, I'm expecting the fish to lay its life down for that for me. <laughs> I wouldn't lay my life down for peanut butter. Man, I like peanut butter. But if I'm to love you and to your love others, as you have been loved, that's, that comes down to, hey, I'm willing to lay down my life. I'm willing to lay down my preferences. I'm willing to lay down my desires. I'm willing to lay down that which is important to me to serve you because that's what Jesus did for me. It's not complicated. It's a lot of dying in that, a lot of laying down when we want to rise up, but it's not complicated. When we love like that, 
We get a, a way to go when we practice it. He goes on, whoever has the world's good and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how's the love of God abide him? It, it doesn't. That's why I love about our needs board. I am so grateful that I can definitely give us a way to go that years ago, one Easter, when we put that up, I had no idea all these years later that there would be consistently people stopping, as I saw this morning again, reading cards, picking a card and taking it and meeting a need and then moving it from see a need to meet a need. When that stop ha- stops happening, we, we have lost our defining mark. So he gives them way to go. You're loving as response to the Lord in practice. He says, little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. Let's practice. It's in, in, it's in action. Third, that brotherly love is without favoritism. Maybe this is most powerful. This, this is love like Jesus. It's without favoritism. Now you may go, ha, I didn't see favoritism in the text. Well, look at verse 10 again. For indeed you do practice it toward all the brethren. In other words, not some of the brethren, not your favorite brethren, not the easier to love brethren. Because is it true? Are some people easier to love than other people? Huh? Oh, yeah. Now, no one's easy to love. Remind yourself when you look in the mirror. No one is easy to love. But there are definitely some people easier to love than others. And, and so it's easy to go, well, let's love that person. That way I can check the box. They get a way to go because you practice toward all the brethren who are all in Macedonia without favoritism. Uh, Christian Family Chapel, I don't want us to miss the incredible uh, compliment that Thessalonians are receiving here. A, I don't even need to write you. You do it so well, your love for one another. Because, listen, love, according to the New Testament, love is this. Love is the greatest, above all, beyond all, most excellent way to reveal God lives in us. It doesn't get any better than love. And he gives them a a way to go. Well, what's fascinating and surprising, I didn't see this coming in the text, is I think he's going, hey, I think he's going to say, way to go, but excel still more in love, because it's the greatest above all, beyond all, most excellent way. Not what happens. He does say, end of verse 10, but we urge you brethren to excel still more. So he's talked about their love and what they're doing with it and how good it is. And you think he's going to say, but make it even better. Because even loving people can love even better, right? But that's not where he goes. Watch Watch what happens here. It might surprise you. He says, but excel still more. Verse 11. And make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and attend to your own business and work with your hands just as we commanded you. Verse 12, so that you will behave properly toward outsiders and not be in any need. Didn't see that one coming, did you? He says, way to go in your brotherly love, but, but. There is something that you need to excel still more in. And he names it in 11 and 12. In other words, here's what we need to know about brotherly love. It is not an excuse for personal irresponsibility. And that's what was happening in Thessalonica. They were loving one another really well. And yet, when it came to their own personal lives, They were not pleasing the Lord because something was not happening. And it was a continual issue. This is when it'd be great if you actually had a hard copy Bible with you. This will be harder with a digital, but I want you to do this. I want you to, you're there, first of four, I want you to take 
and go back one page, back toward the back to 2 Thessalonians. In my Bible, anyway, it's just one page. One page to 2 Thessalonians 3, all right? Find verse 6, if you would. Okay, don't read it. <laughs> just find verse 6. Yeah, you see where it is? Okay, now go back to 1 Thess 4, and here's what I want to show you. He, he writes something to them in his first letter in chapter 4, and obviously... Nothing changes. There is no confession and walking in the spirit because he has to write it again in his next letter. So what's he talking about? Go back. Let's start verse 11, chapter 4. And make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and attend to your own business and work with your hands just as we commanded you. In other words, I told you that when I was there and you haven't done it, so I'm writing it to you now in order that you would confess and walk in the Spirit. But watch. He has to write again, 2 Thess, chapter 3. Turn that page. Verse 6. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from every brother who leads an unruly life and not according to the tradition which you received from us. What's he talking about? What tradition, what unruliness is he addressing? Drop down to verse 10. For even when we were with you, we used to give you this order. If anyone is not willing to work... Then he is not to eat either. That'll motivate you to work. That was our tradition. That was our command. You don't work. You don't get to eat. If you do work, you do get to eat. Verse 11. For we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. Now, such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to work. You getting the idea? <laughs> to work in what? In a quiet fashion and eat their own bread. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary of doing good. Look up here for a moment, if you would. Let me make sure you capture what's happening here. What's he saying? He's saying, don't, don't stop in your way to go brotherly love. Don't stop with that. But something does need to stop, and that is your, you're not working. So there, the excel still more is way to go in brotherly love, but excel in personal responsibility, but not to the degree that you stop excelling in brotherly love. It's a both and. You see that in the text? It's a both and. It is excel in brotherly love and in personal responsibility. It's not or. We'll see this unfold, but let me give you a heads up right now. Some of you are better at brotherly love than you are personal responsibility. Some of you are better at personal responsibility than you are at brotherly love. What were the Thessalonians? Which were they? They were better at brotherly love. They lacked personal responsibility. He spoke it to them. They didn't change. He wrote it to them. They didn't change. He wrote it to them again. And, and did you see in this time he was like, I am commanding you in the Lord Jesus this has got to stop. And he addresses this personal responsibility specifically on work. Work. Work to do what? To provide for one another. Go back and read the text again in 1 Thess 4 and 2 Thess 3. And you see it's work, 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 work. In other words... They had, and this might seem unusual, but actually I see this even in our present day in our current church. I see a biblical perspective about community, caring for one another, helping one another, 
but absence of a personal responsibility. An unwillingness to work. They had a biblical perspective on community, not on work. So if you're going to get a biblical perspective on work, where are you going to go? Where is work first mentioned in the Bible? Take a guess. Okay, Genesis, the first book, is a good guess. Work definitely comes up in Genesis. How early? Chapter 1? Yes. Chapter 1 of Genesis, verse 26. Listen. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Now, who's he talking to? Himself. Yes, this is the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit saying, we are one. Let's make man in our image, in our likeness. And let them rule over the fish of the sea. What is that? That's work. What type of work? Like park ranger work. Let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle. Oh, so we got some farming in here and over all the earth and over every creepy thing. So we got some zoo work here. Every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Right out of Genesis 1, he says, I'm going to create them in our, they say, we're going to create them in our image and we're going to give them work. Don't miss it. Why? Why? Because God works and we are in his image. And when we don't, like the Thessalonians, when we don't work, we don't reflect the image of God that we are created in. The whole pattern of creation is six days he worked and, and then he rested. There is in our makeup in the image of God, we are intended to be productive because God is productive. Let me show it to you even more. Drop down two verses. Genesis 1 verse 28. God, say it. No, don't miss this. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and Subdue it, in other words, and work and rule, work over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God blessed them and gave them work. So work is not a necessary evil. It was actually the blessing of God. So to you again, Genesis 1, last verse, 31. God saw all that he had made He's talking about the sixth day. You know what he made on the sixth day? He made mankind on the sixth day. And with mankind, what did he make? Work. And you know what he said? It was very good. See, this biblical perspective, this biblical view of work is... First, it's a reflection that I am in the image of God. God works and I get to work. God is productive and I get to be productive. And don't miss this. And God provides and as I work, I get to provide. That is the image of God written on us. And he said it from verse 28. Work is a blessing. Not a necessary evil. It's a blessing. Can I show it to you even better? Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to the Eden to, to work, to cultivate it and to keep it. Now that is Genesis 2, which precedes Genesis 3. Right. Genesis 2 comes before Genesis 3. And what happens in Genesis 3? Sin happens in Genesis 3. Adam and Eve choose to rebel against God and they go their own way. They do what they want to do. And in the 
separation from God that sin brings, then God says to them, Adam, your curse will be work. No, no, that's not true. Work had already been given. The curse was what? Your work will be hard. And sometimes your work won't work. <laughs> right? Uh, it's just like you started a project yesterday. Some of you and you were like, yeah, nothing's ever easy. Why do little projects turn into big projects? I can answer that for you. Genesis chapter 3. Not, not Genesis chapter 2. The, the privilege that you had to do the project was a blessing from God because you're created in the image of God. Work is not the curse on Adam any more than the curse on Eve was children. Children are a blessing. Be fruitful and multiply. Children are a blessing. What was the curse? The pain in childbearing. And that was just the prelude to all the pain that was going to happen. Right? But the curse is not the children. Please. The, the children are a blessing. And work is a blessing because work came. Man worked before man sinned. He put him in the garden and they cultivated it in chapter 2. They didn't sin until chapter 3. It's not a curse. And because it's a blessing, it's a reflection of our being created in the image of God, then we can say wholeheartedly, God is glorified when you work and when you provide, which is the whole reason he writes what he writes in 1 Thessalonians 4 and in 2 Thessalonians 3 that says an unruly life is one that should be avoided and that is specifically in Thessalonica, a life that doesn't work. Because working to provide glorifies God. Now, can I pause for a moment and, and help you understand the implications of a biblical perspective on work? Because it will run a head-on collision to American mentality. The American dream is make a bunch of money as fast as you can so that you can retire as early as you can. Make a bunch of money so that you can live the American dream of not working. Can I just say that I want us to be more biblical than more American. And more biblical is to go... If the Lord allows me to make a whole bunch of money really fast, it's in order not only to provide for me, but to provide for others, not so I can stop working. Because working is a blessing, and who wants to get out of a blessing? Nobody. Only people who want to get out of a blessing are people who think a blessing is a curse. And so that's why we said, this is, I'll not lean on my own understanding. I'm not going to believe what the culture tells me. I'm going to believe what the scripture tells me. And the scripture tells me that as long as I am able, I am going to work to the glory of God. To provide for myself and as he gives me more than what I need, to provide for somebody else. The goal is not to stop Working Now, sometimes we confuse issues and say things like that. Retirement's not in the Bible. Now, let's make sure we're clear about this. It's not a sin to retire. In fact, retirement is probably uh, a reality, unavoidable reality that you should prepare for. In other words, what you currently do for work, you may not always be able to do for work. Can I make that very practical for me? There's going to be a day. I don't look forward to it, but if the Lord keeps me here, where the elders are going to come to me and say, thank you. <laughs> but the ride is coming to an end. 
And so I, I would be a fool not to prepare for the fact that I may not always be able to do what I love to do now. But the goal for me is not to somehow create a system where I don't have to work any longer. That would go, that would go against the way God made me. That would go against the way God has blessed me. And that would go against the way God intends me to glorify him by working. It may mean that my working no longer is compensated. Is it really work if you don't get paid for it? <laughs> yeah. Okay, moms would rise up and revolt if we said, yes, it's really work even if you don't get paid for it, right? Sometimes it's harder work because you're not getting paid for it. Hey, where's the kudos in this one? You get a paycheck. I get more work. The guy who last hour stopped his paid employment to care for his wife in Alzheimer's. Got a harder job without compensation to the glory of God. So don't, don't be confused. I am not blowing up retirement here. I am blowing up the American dream that says the goal is to not have to work. No, the goal is to fulfill God's creation of us by working in whatever way we can for as long as we can. And on this Father's Day, even though my dad uh, wouldn't be able to hear it, but when he died at 80, he was unexpectedly, he was driving Amish in his little Toyota Prius, because in Lancaster County, lots of Amish who aren't allowed to drive, but they'll gladly ride with you. So he drove 5,000 miles a month at 80 years old, generally starting at 4.30 in the morning. He was done with most of his work by 6.45 in the morning. He'd call me and wondered what I had done with my day so far. <laughs> Seriously. And he didn't need it for money. So he wasn't working because he needed it. He was working because he was made for it. And the incredible privilege he had was to say, I take all the money that I make all week in driving and then I can drive over to Hope International and give it to them where they will use it to help the poorest of the poor around the world escape the cycle of poverty. And it got him up four o'clock every morning because when we don't have anything to live for anymore, we stop living. And the statistics will show that the Bible's correct on that one. So I'm not talking retirement here. I'm talking living a productive, helpful life, whether you get compensated for it or not, whether you go to an office or not. The pouring out of your life for the contribution of the building up of the kingdom of God in whatever way you can do that. God made you for that. So don't believe the culture. Second, there is among many parents this whole idea that the really loving parents let their kids play and never make them work. And so parents, you want to love your kids as Christ has loved you? Make them work. Make them do all that stuff you don't like to do. No, that's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> See, that's, that's what my neighbors say. Man, you got all those kids so you don't have to do stuff. No, that's not. <laughs> we had our kids work because I believe God made us to work. And I didn't believe I was going to like what the result was if I taught them that all of life was about play. Because when that play grows up, it's not pretty and you're not happy. So start them. Practically speaking for us, 
we didn't pay our kids to work. We gave them an allowance to teach them how to manage money, and we gave them jobs because God has made us to work. We didn't blend the two. There would be a time when their work would be compensation, not in our family. It was about teaching money management, and it was teaching about work. I would encourage you. As a youth pastor here for six years, it was so obvious. All I had to do was run a missions car wash, and I could tell you in two hours who had been taught to work and who had only ever played in their life. It was that clear, two hours. Parents, we own that one. You know whether you're teaching your kids to work or not. They won't love it at first. Don't let that discourage you. Believe what the scripture says and you'll serve them. Third implication of this biblical view of work is this. Please, if you ever think, well, if I did what Doug did or if I did what a missionary did, that would be glorifying God, but I don't really do that. My God, my job doesn't glorify God. If you've ever thought that, repent change your mind, confess it. That is a lie from the pit of hell. You can, in whatever job you do, you can glorify God as much as I can glorify job, glorify God in my job. Because I can dishonor God in my job, right? And if I can dishonor God in my job, you can glorify God in your job. Assuming it's legal. So (laughs) if your employment is not legal... That is not glorifying to God, okay? Seriously. If it's not legal, if it's immoral, do something that's legal and immoral, and you can do it with all your heart as unto the Lord and glorify God as much as I can. So let's, let's get rid of this idea of the secular versus the sacred, the jobs that really glorify God and the ones that just pay the bills. Paying the bills glorifies God. Get up tomorrow, go to your work, whatever you do to provide for yourself and do it to the glory of God. Work is who God made you to be. The Thessalonians were missing it. But there was even more. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. That sounds like a volume issue. It's not a volume issue. It's an orderliness issue. It's captured even better in 2 Thessalonians 3, the verses we read earlier, where he says, some of you are leading an undisciplined life. That is the noisy life, if you will, the opposite of the quiet life. So work to provide yourself to the glory of God and excel still more by loving one another and living a disciplined life. And don't miss, as you write that down, don't miss the reality that work and a disciplined life go hand in hand. It's hard to live a disciplined life when you don't work, i.e. kids on summer vacation, right? It's hard to have them be disciplined when they don't have anything they need to do. It's hard for you to be disciplined if you don't have anything to do. So discipline and work go hand in hand. Work and uh, live a disciplined life. Third, make it your ambition to live a quiet life and attend to your own business. You know what literally what it says in Second Timothy three or Second Thessalonians three? Mind your own business. Stop being busybodies. You can picture that, can't you? The busybody, the person who's in everybody's little stuff. He's going, stop it. Get a job. So I don't have time for all that junk. And when I said, don't get a job, it may not be a pay. Work instead of being a busybody. Be disciplined and mind your own business. Again, that's straight from the text. Mind your own business, which is increasingly difficult in our social media saturated culture, correct? So I just want to throw out a challenge to you. As you scroll, 
and scroll and scroll and keep scrolling. Ask yourself, what are you doing? Mind your own business. Because I think, uh, well, I don't think, I know I've, lots of believers have said to me, man, I've gotten into this and then I go, ugh, this is not good for my soul. It's not. It's not. I'm not saying social media is from the pit of hell. Did you you hear me say that? Because there can be great good in it. I am saying that as you don't apply 1 Timothy 4.11 and mind your own business and scroll and scroll and scroll, it doesn't serve you. But the only reason you can scroll and scroll and scroll is because people are, are posting. So... Think about it from that side as well. Ask yourself, huh, why do I need to post this? There's not a a biblical, thou shalt post X number of times per week. There's the principle, mind your own business. So that you can lead a disciplined life. Provide for yourself and Lord willing, provide for others. Why is all this important? so that you'll behave properly toward outsiders. In other words, it's a testimony issue. This is a testimony of our faith issue. Bottom line, he's going, if you have brotherly love, but it's without personal responsibility, it lacks integrity, doesn't show integrity. So, hey, way to go on this, but you got to excel still more in this because you're killing your own testimony of your brotherly love by your lack of a discipline providing life. Now, let me acknowledge something. Some of you who are disciplined and hard workers, you're going, this is the message I've been waiting for. Thank you, man. I'm going to send him an email. This is awesome. You know what the problem is? It's a both and. The uniqueness of the Thessalonians was they were great in love and poor at personal responsibility. But can the opposite happen? Can you be super disciplined, that hard worker that got your life together, minding your own business so much that you don't care about anybody else or know about anybody else to be able to love anybody else? Can you be that guy? Yeah. Excel still more. For the Thessalonians, it was brotherly love without personal response. It doesn't show integrity. Maybe that's your story. Maybe, maybe your story is the guy who came up to me after first hour and went, man, I'm the opposite. (laughs) I've been the king of personal responsibility but I need to excel in brotherly love because personal responsibility without brotherly love, that's, that's missing Jesus who said, love one another as I have loved you. You don't want to walk in the rain, do you? <laughs> Some of you know what I mean by that sentence. Which are you? Can you see yourself here? Are you here? Sometimes we say it like this. I'm more people-oriented than task-oriented. Excel still more. Some of you go, I'm more task-oriented. Not so much people-oriented. Excel still more. It's both and. Both are in the text. You see it? So are you here? If you are, confess and begin to walk in the spirit by being productive and working and minding your own business and leading a disciplined life. If you're here, confess your self-oriented life and walk in the spirit by loving others the way you've been loved. One last hint. If you're not sure like the guy who said, I wasn't sure. So I turned to my wife and said, which am I? 
And she was really clear. She didn't hesitate a moment. She said, oh, you're this. She said, oh, you're this. You need. So maybe, maybe you just need to ask somebody. Do you see me excelling in love and needing to be more responsible? Or do you see me excelling and being responsible and needing to be more loving? Walking, excuse me, sanctification begins where? Confession. And then achieved by walking in the spirit. So would you bow with me? And, and whether if, if you're like the Thessalonians, would you confess your lack of responsibility? Being quick to help other people, but your life kind of a wreck. Always glad to clean up somebody else's mess, but avoiding your own mess. Maybe you would confess that to the Lord. Or maybe your life's together and you do work hard as unto the Lord and provide. You lack the love of Christ for the other people that he has purchased with his blood. Confess that and invite him to grow you up. You would glorify him in your love. Lord, as we confess, it's rooted in the desire that we would please you in all respects, that we would be holy as you are holy. That, Lord, with every breath, every day, we would follow you and glorify you that a watching world would see Jesus and integrity to the praise of your glory. Pray it in Christ's name. Would you stand with me and let's declare together that it is our desire that with every breath, every day, we would follow Jesus. With every breath I long to follow Jesus for that he will bring me home and day by day I know he will renew me until I stand with joy before the throne to this I hope my hope is only may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. May your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Would you declare this with me? Faithful is he who calls us and he also will bring it to pass. Amen. God bless.